unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four. And when they could not come nigh unto him for the press, they uncovered the roof where he was, and when they had broken it up, they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. When Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. But there were certain of the scribes sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, Why doth this man thus speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God only? And immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they so reasoned within themselves, he said unto them, Why reason ye these things in your hearts? Whether is it easier to say to the sick of the palsy, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Arise and take up thy bed and walk? But that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins, he saith to the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, Arise, and take up thy bed, and go thy way into thine house. And immediately he arose, took up the bed, and went forth before them all, insomuch that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw it on this fashion. Now I want to look here at the uh, the Lord and the paralytic man. And pray that the Lord would help us in this. There's a great deal we learn about our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, and His dealings with this paralytic man. And we learn a lot about the sinfulness of men in the paralytic man as well. And I want to note, first of all, that there was a human helplessness. Human helplessness. The Bible tells us here in verse 3 of Mark chapter 2, it says, And they come unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four. If you look over with me to the Gospel of Luke chapter 5, the Gospel of Luke chapter 5, and I want to read here a parallel passage of Scripture. And notice, if you would, the verse uh, in the 18th verse. And you'll notice here that there were, in verse 17, there were others there. In fact, it tells us that uh, our text of Mark says he was in a house preaching. Here it says, Verse 17, it came to pass on a certain day as he was teaching that there were Pharisees and doctors of the law sitting by which were come out of every town of Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and the power of the Lord was present to heal them. And behold, men brought in a bed a man which was taken with a palsy. Notice the language here, he was taken with it. Dealing with that, he was overcome by it that it had took hold of him and had not released it. No doubt he had seen physicians, physicians of no value because they could not aid him or help him. No doubt remedies and homeopathic things had been applied. But none of these were any good. None of these solved the palsy that he was taken with. And this, like sin, ruled over him. You see, we see in this uh, paralytic man a very great type 
of the sinfulness of men. This man was sick, but he was also taken with something. It had gotten hold of him. It had dominion or authority over him. He was under the control of the illness or the palsy, and he was not in control by himself. Such is the case with sin. In fact, if you look over in the book of Romans chapter 6, the book of Romans chapter 6, the Bible puts it in verse 14 in this fashion. Remember that lost people, you and I ourselves when we were lost, we were under the authority of sin. And as Paul described it, sin is so deceptive that we don't think we're under anybody's authority. Lost sinners think, well, I'm free to do as I please, yet they have no idea they're in the bondage of sin and iniquity. They love sin. You know, Jesus said, ye will not come to me. He said, you cannot come to me. Their will and their ability are wrapped up in sin. I know a lot of false preachers or people who don't understand like to think that when Adam sinned, he plunged himself into into sinfulness with the exception of his will. That's not so. His will is corrupt. Mm -hmm. Jesus said, Ye will not come to me that you might have life. Either he's totally depraved or he isn't totally depraved. I believe that man is. I believe that's what the Bible speaks of. And here in Romans 6 and verse 14, notice, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. See, before you're under grace, sin has dominion over you. It has authority over you. And I know a lot of people today like to say, well, we're in the day of grace. We're all under grace. No, you're not. Only those who have been redeemed and blood-bought by Jesus Christ are under grace. See, you're, you're under sin. The law of God is over you and it has found you guilty. You're under the dominion and the authority of sin. Your thoughts are sinful. In fact, your your wants are sinful. Your deeds are sinful. Everything is tainted with sin. And we find here that this is what it is to be taken with a palsy. It signifies that he was taken with sin. Just as every single one of us is dead in trespasses and in sins. And this man was brought to Christ. The Bible tells us in our text of Mark 2 that he was sick of the palsy. We all know what it is to be sick or ill. Some of us have been dealing with it uh, recently. One small thing. Some of you deal with it on a daily basis. One small thing affects the whole being. 
sickness makes many things unbearable. I, 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 I don't know how to explain it. My wife will tell you. She'll say when he has a sinus infection, he's the worst patient in the world. He breaks a bone, he's fine. I, if I get a sinus infection, I, I just, I, I, I'd literally rather break my rib again over getting a sinus infection. I can function with a broken rib. With a sinus infection, I don't want to do anything. That's Maybe others are that way, maybe they're not, but that's how I am. Sickness makes you unfit for many things. And this here reveals the sin sickness of our souls. Sin unfits us for the presence of God. You see, the Bible tells us in Habakkuk chapter 1 and verse 13... Habakkuk 1 and verse 13, referring unto God, it says, Thou art of purer eyes than to behold evil, and canst not look upon iniquity. So we're unfit for the very presence of God because of sin. Look over in 2 Timothy, if you would. 2 Timothy chapter 2. I want to read here a passage of Scripture, verse 19 through 21. Again, sin not only unfits us for His presence, but it unfits us for service to God. This man who was sick of the palsy, he couldn't even serve the Lord, could he? And sinners can't serve the Lord. Well, if you're unfit for His presence and you can't serve Him, how are you going to be well-pleasing to Him? You're not. You're not well-pleasing to Him. So let's look in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 19. And again, here's a passage of Scripture about serving God. And there's a lot of people who think, well, I'm serving the Lord. And they're not. They're unfit for it. It says, Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal. The Lord knoweth them that are His, and let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet or fit for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. This man sick of the palsy was not fit for the master's use. Not yet. He was going to be, but there's one thing that had to happen first. He had to come to Christ. He had to come to Christ first. This is the condition of lost sinners. In fact, I suppose we could even make an application here to backsliders. But we most assuredly have one who was sick, Without Christ. Look over to Matthew chapter 9 if you would. The Gospel of Matthew chapter 9. You see there's only one remedy for those that are sick. 
There's but one remedy for it. And we find here in Matthew chapter 9 and verse 12, Jesus, here He is, He's speaking, and, and there were those who were questioning Him. And it says in Matthew 9 and verse 12, But when Jesus heard that, He said unto them, They that be whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. This man needed a physician. He needed the great physician to heal him of sin sickness as well as the palsy. And so these four bore him to Christ. Now this sickness is called the palsy or a palsy depending on what passage of Scripture. If you stay there in Matthew and look over to Matthew chapter 4, Matthew chapter 4 and verse 24, this was evidently not a rare issue or a sickness or a disease. Matthew 4 and verse 24 says, And his fame went throughout all Syria, and they brought unto him all sick people that were taken with diverse diseases and torments, and those that were possessed with devils, and those which were lunatic, and those that had the palsy, and he healed them. So there were evidently others. Matthew chapter 8 as well. Matthew chapter 8 and verse 6. Uh, verse 5 and 6. Here we find a centurion. And the Bible says in Matthew 8, verse 5, And when Jesus was entered into Capernaum, there came unto him a centurion beseeching him, and saying, Lord, my servant lieth at home sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. Now this palsy, I, had to, I looked up about it. As we said, it's not a rare issue. You know what isn't rare either? Sin. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The palsy nor sin in the fact that it's not uncommon. The fact that it's, it's, it's a, appears to be something that was uh, widely, that many people had. They still needed the great physician, didn't they? And this illness is described as the loss or defect of the power of voluntary muscular motion. It can be a partial paralysis or a whole body paralysis. One described it as they were also subject to an involuntary shaking. I, I'm not, I don't mean to speak, I don't think I'm speaking ill of him, but I'm not trying to, but you know those who've had uh, 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 Parkinson's, they don't have the ability of their body, they can't make their muscles do what they want to do, they have involuntary shaking. I'm not saying that's what this was, but you have an idea of what it is. And we've, we've all known folks who've had this, it's a, it's a terrible sickness. And so here it was. While this man was sick, he was sick in particular, like many of us, 
And, you know, he had a particular illness. Well, with some folks, there's particular sins that they struggle with too. In fact, the greatest sin that we struggle with is a lack of faith. God told Israel that, and, and Paul recorded in Hebrews, he said they were shut out because of unbelief. People are shut out from salvation, from rest in Jesus Christ because of unbelief. One fellow said it's the sin that sends people to hell. Doesn't the Bible say they're condemned already? Why? Because they don't believe. And when folks believe, the Bible says there is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. This man had no help to cure him from among men. No efforts of his own could heal him. For all intent and purposes, he he had no hope. He had no power. His sickness deprived him of any desires or rights. His palsy deprived him of any ability to act. And you know, this is the case of every person outside of Jesus Christ. They have no hope. They have no power. And any ability or actions or anything that they may have or take will end up being short. This is a great and horrible condition. Sin is the condition of all men without exception. Yet we read in Romans 5 and verse 6, For when we were without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. This man had no strength. Yet we read Christ died for the ungodly. Now I want to observe here secondly, our first was the human helplessness. The second I'd like to observe is that the Lord employs divine help. The Lord employed divine help or divine help employed. You see this man was humanly speaking unable to come to Christ. And I don't want to labor long at this point because we covered it the last time we preached on Wednesday. And that was that these four who bore him unto Christ. And verse 3 and 4 of Mark 2, And they come unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four. And when they could not come nigh unto him for the press... They uncovered the roof where he was, and when they had broken it up, they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. Verse 5, When Jesus saw their faith. These four here, I believe, were employed of God in this great work. This was true divine help. These as well as you and I, are employed in helping others and bringing others unto the Lord Jesus Christ. We just sang a hymn. 
about bringing in the sheaves. That, that comes from Scripture. Psalm 126, verse 5 and 6 says, They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth and weeping, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. We sang, Jesus saves. You know, we've heard the joyful sound. Well, we have. Well, now we're to echo it forth that others might know the Lord Jesus Christ. Here he was being born of four. Paul said, I have planted Apollos water, but God gave the increase. And he said, we are co-laborers with God. Look over in the book of Acts chapter 16. These here were moved and employed by God in this great work of bringing one to Christ. And you know what? Their names aren't recorded this side of heaven, are they? These men received no accolades from other men. I believe the Lord knows who they were. Here in Acts chapter 16 and verse 6, I like to read here a passage of Scripture. Here's a, 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 a reference. Here is Luke records about the ministry of the Apostle Paul. Again, these were employed of God. Well, you and I are employed of God in the same work. And notice here, verse 6, Now when they had gone, this is Paul, he's preaching. Timothy's with him. And it says, When they had gone throughout Phrygia and the region of Galatia, and were forbidden of the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia, after they were come to Mysia, they essayed to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit suffered or permitted them not. And they passing by Mysia came down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. And after he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them. And that the same same thing that we've been called to do is to preach the gospel. Now they'd been employed in the, the direction, the place. They tried to go into Asia. The Spirit of God forbid them. They tried to go into, the Bible says, to go into Bithynia, and the Spirit permitted them not. A lot of times you'll find where you're supposed to go by trying to go other places. See, these weren't just sitting at home going, well, Lord, where do you want us to go? No, they were testing, weren't they? But I'll tell you this, the Spirit of God will lead you where to go. And these here were led of the Spirit. You're not going to have a vision today the Scriptures have been completed. But you'll have an unction. You'll have a pressing. You'll have a burden given you by the Lord. This person will be on your heart and your mind and it'll be a great and heavy weight upon you. 
Because you know what? When you bear a person and you're bearing them to Christ, it's going to be a great weight. Don't try to get out from under it. But seek to bear them until they come to Christ and are saved. Thirdly, I'd like to notice, and I believe this is one of the chief points of this passage. It's taken us uh, some time as the Lord's directed us to get here. But in Matthew, or excuse me, Mark chapter 2, we find the divine power of Christ. The Bible tells us when Jesus, verse 5, when Jesus saw their faith, He said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. What, what power it takes to pardon sin, to forgive it. You see, anybody can be wrathful and vengeful, but to pardon them, to forgive them, boy, that's divine. Amen. The Bible tells us here that Jesus said, Son, thy sins are forgiven thee when he saw their faith. He didn't tell it to them before that. He told them when he saw their faith. And every lost sinner knows that's true when their faith is seen. When they repent and come to Christ believing on Him, that's when they'll have forgiveness of sins. This is truly the gospel to everyone that believeth. These here did not come with a, well, I hope He'll save me. These here did not come with a, well, I think He'll save me. But they bore him, and he came being born, knowing that he would save him. Now, do we believe that Christ will save those who, are, who come to him? That we ought to bring people to him. I think this is one of the chiefest problems that many people have today, is that they really have never come to Christ. They really haven't. They might have made a profession of faith, but they never came to Christ. That's what ails a great many people. And we should, ought to quit deceiving ourselves. I mean, how are you going to call this an apple tree when it's never produced any apples? You might want it to be an apple tree, but we ought to quit deceiving ourselves. But if that they get brought to Christ, they'll produce. They'll produce fruit. These here came with a I know so faith in Christ. Saying that Paul said, For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. What did Paul commit unto Christ? He committed his body, his soul, his spirit. He committed his being. For what? That Christ would keep it against the day of judgment. That he would preserve it and protect him. There's some, when you get down to it, they've, they haven't believed him. They're not persuaded. They don't think he can keep it. They're trusting in their work still. 
But here these can't. And this forgiveness of sins is because Christ said it was so. You know how you know you're forgiven? Because Christ said so. Because God said that He has accepted what Jesus Christ did on your behalf. You see, God didn't just forgive people and forgive this person. No. Jesus had my sins put on Him. And He suffered the penalty of my sin. And because of what He did, we're now able to be pardoned. We're able to be forgiven. You see, these here, Christ had some, these scribes, they were sitting there and they were reasoning in their hearts. They said, oh, who can forgive? Who can forgive but God? You see, they didn't believe that Jesus was God. They didn't believe in His deity. They didn't believe He was divine. They didn't believe He had the ability to forgive sins. These were the religious people of Christ's day. I mean, these were those who were so well familiar with the Word. They were scribes. They wrote down the Word of God. That's what they did. And yet they doubted God's ability. They doubted the ability of the Christ whom God sent. And so Jesus would now give them evidence. He would give them a demonstration. He would give accreditation that He had the ability to forgive sins on the earth. Notice if you would here in Mark chapter 2, verse 8, and immediately when Jesus perceived in His Spirit that they so reasoned within themselves, He said unto them, Why reason ye these things in your hearts? And I mean this, the heart is a bad place to reason things. It's, it's, it's deceitful and wicked above all else who can know it. You know where you ought to reason things? Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. You ought to reason things with God. You ought to reason out of His Word. See, this heart's deceptive. It's wicked. And this brain that you've got and I've got, it's, it's finite. It's not, it doesn't understand everything. We sit down and you can reason things out on pen and paper. But you can't put faith on paper with a pen. And you can't put the power of God down like that either. These here reasoned in their hearts. Jesus said, verse 9, Whether is it easier to say to the sick of a palsy, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Arise and take up thy bed and walk. He said, which one's easier? Of course, you know, it's an impossibility humanly speaking, to say to a man who's got the palsy, who can't control his muscular being and has uncontrollable, involuntary shaking to pick up their bed and walk. They just bore him up there because he couldn't do it. He said, which one's easier? Verse 10, but that ye may know. Here's, Here's why this was done but that ye may know. You see, the palsy man already knew it. And the four who bore him already knew it. 
But Christ did this outward demonstration so that the religious people would know it. See, we don't need to know because we already believe He can. God gifted us faith. But this was a demonstration to those who didn't have faith. And He demonstrates it, and this is what He says. He turns, He saith to the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, Arise, and take up thy bed, and go thy way into thine house. He commanded Him to do that which was impossible. And so what did he do? Well, the Bible says, verse 12, and immediately he arose, took up the bed, and went forth before them all, insomuch that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw it on this fashion. What was Christ showing them? That he's God. That he has the power to save. That he has the power to forgive. The Bible tells us that there is forgiveness with thee, referring to the Lord, that thou mayest be feared. Psalm 130, verse 4. You look up the word forgiveness in your concordance, and you can see all the passages. Acts 5, 31. They preached repentance in His name. Acts 13, 38. The same thing. Ephesians 1.7 We have forgiveness in His blood. And so all of this shows us that there is no forgiveness of sins except you first come to Christ. And it also shows us that it has to be done here and now. And now what he said in verse 10, but that you may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. See, there's no forgiveness of sins if it doesn't happen on the earth. There's no purgatory. Amen. There's no limbo. There's no at the judgment seat of Christ sins are being forgiven. It's it's not there. It's here on the earth. If they're not forgiven here, they're not going to be forgiven. No wonder the Bible says wild is called today. No wonder it says that today is the day of salvation. Now I'd like you to notice as well, as we close verse 12, when God forgives a person, there's going to be evidence. Right. The evidence here, he said, he told a man sick of the palsy to take his bed and go thy way into this house. And the Bible says in verse 12, and immediately what he do? Verse 11, he said, I say unto thee, number one, arise. Number two, take up thy bed. Number three, go thy way into thine house. He told him three things to do. 
And in verse 12, and immediately he, number one, he arose. Number two, he took up the bed. And number three, he went forth before them all. Of three things Christ commanded him to do, he did. You know what the evidence is? Number one, the person who's saved is going to do what Christ says. And that, we just read it. And as soon as he had spoken, or immediately, I say unto thee, before he was saved, before he was forgiven, he couldn't do it. Why? He was taken with the palsy. Why is it that you and I couldn't do what Christ told us to do? Because we were taken with sin. But when we've been forgiven, when we've been released from sin, now we're free to what? Serve the Lord. And notice that immediately. You know, salvation isn't in steps or stages. It's an instantaneous thing. From darkness to light. Born again. Made a new creation in Christ Jesus. We find here that old things had passed away and He arose out of that bed. He didn't need that bed anymore because He didn't have palsy anymore. Bible tells us that this was done before them all. When we sing that little Sunday school chorus, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. <coughs> shine for all the world to see. And Christ say that your light ought to be on the, your candle ought to be on the candlestick, your lamp ought to be on the lampstand for what? That all may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. He arose and took up his bed. He did things that he couldn't do beforehand. Do you know that you as a child of God can do things that you've never been able to do before? I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Christ sends you over here to this one to talk to this one. Oh, I can't do that. Sure you can. Sure you can. Oh, He wants me to do this. Go do it. He wants me to give this. Then give it. Oh, He wants me to to pray. He wants me to lead in this. He wants me to teach this. Then lead in it and teach in it. And pray He went forth before them all. And you know what else happened? Well, others glorified God. And that what always happens when a lost person is saved? Don't we glorify God, those of us who are saved? And that every time somebody is saved and follows the Lord, or somebody who's saved follows the Lord, don't we rejoice? These here said... 
insomuch that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw it on this wise. Don't we praise God whenever people follow Him? When folks stand for the truth and follow the Lord? When folks commit their ways unto the Lord and follow Him, we glorify Him. Maybe some we we didn't know, some we prayed for a short time, some for a long time, maybe some we quit praying for, said all, there's no use. And yet God did a great work. (laughs) I can tell you this, it wasn't me. It wasn't me. I didn't do anything. If anything, as Paul said, we're just we're just builders. We're just laborers. We're just co-laborers with him. But you observe here this great forgiveness of sins. And this man, here he was. He rose up, took up his bed, and he went before them all. He wasn't ashamed to go before them all, was he? And that a lot of things people say, oh, I just, I just, I don't want to draw any attention to myself. You're not. You're drawing attention to God. He took up his bed. He rose up and he went before them all. And they said, oh, look at this palsy man. No, they didn't. They glorified God. That's what they did. People aren't looking at you to glorify you. They'll never glorify you. Even when you do something right, they won't glorify you. They'll find something you didn't do right. Here he was, forgiven of his sins. There's a hymn, a song I heard it years ago. I don't remember exactly how it goes, but it was After Calvary is its title. I would do anything after Calvary. I would be anything after Calvary. And I think that's the sentiment that this one here who was forgiven of his sins had. Whatever Christ would have told him to do, he would have done it. He not only had the power, he now had a desire to do it. I pray that God will help us to give us a desire, give us the power and a will that we'll serve Him with reverence and godly fear. So I pray God will bless His Word.